conversation with our friend Pete where he um, discussed his favourite Derby County 11. So last episode, episode 6, um, we discussed with him his choice goalkeeper and defence and this episode we're going to be bringing you his choice midfield, front two and manager. Um, and to kick us off, as I always do, I'm going to ask my question of the week. So, is it Joel Linton or Jolinton? I, I thought it was Joel Linton. <laughs> Well, hang on. He's he's Brazilian, which means it's a Portuguese language thing. So I think you two are the ones to uh, to, to to shed some light on that. I mean, it, it is all one word, definitely, but I don't know. I call him Joel Linton. I know you do, which is like it's two words, like Joel Linton, which sounds like a man from Middlesbrough. Yeah, it does, and he plays like kind of the stereotype of the it's of Joel. the man from Middlesbrough. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's one of your uncles, isn't he? <laughs> anyway. Oh, I forgot, of course, Al. You've right. got like, most of your bandits from Middlesbrough. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Oh, wait. Derby have scored six minutes in. CKR. Oh, wow. Yeah, good stuff. That's a shock. Cool. Can you so, give me, can, if you're going to have championship updates, could you give me updates of Luton or away at Blackburn? I mean, we're nowhere near relegation at the moment, which okay. is amazing, but. If, uh, if, if anything flashes, let me know. What persuaded you to stay with Derby for another four years? Um, to be fair, this is a premiership club to me. Um, it's the club that's given me my chance. It's a club that believes in me and I believe in the club. And I'm, I think we're a premiership club in the championship. Midfield, ready to go. Um, so I'll start with the left again, because okay. that's the order in which you pick players in Championship Manager 3 from 22 <laughs> years ago, and I'm not going to change it. Um, <laughs> And, and, the, and the reason I say that is because this one is definitely a championship manager player. And it's Lee okay. Holmes, mm-hmm. who was a really sort of super talented player in a or in an all right derby team in the 0304 version of the game. Now, mm-hmm. I'd kind of actually, I remember being surprised listening yesterday about the 0304 season being such a poor derby team and Leon Osman saving you from relegation, which was a fact that had completely passed me, but I didn't even know he played for derby. But I remember Derby in that game being quite good. And I remember when I, I've played as West Ham various times because it's quite a fun challenge to try and get them promoted. And every single time I would play Derby, they beat me 3-0 away. Every, literally every time. And it would always be that Candido Costa guy that would score. Um, <laughs> so, and Lee, so Lee Holmes was an awesome talent in that game. But the only club that I could ever get him to join from Derby was Arsenal. And I would always sign him and Tom Huddleston um, and other players like that from other clubs yeah. straight away. But then they'd never get anywhere near the team because I can't be picking them a couple of times age 17 and then a few more times age 19 like they need. <laughs> but he was a really, really talented player in that team. And if, if you left him at Derby, as I did when I couldn't sign him, he would normally be quite good. And so I remember mm. sort of... Because that, that was one of the first championship managers I played at the time it was released as opposed to mm-hmm. a few years after. And so I sort of thought, oh, he's going to be a really big player to watch out for. Mm-hmm. And he basically just... Dis- I, think he, I think he had one season in your first team doing all right, if I'm not mistaken. But I mean, he really yeah. just, you know... I think, just yeah. Was not- I didn't see him play much. I think he, he played mostly in that season, 03-04, when he was really young. But I think it was hypothesised even by Derby fans that he'd be like an amazing player. Yeah, um, I mean, my memories of him was... Um, I don't know if this record still stands, but I think when he made his appear- his first appearance at Derby, he was our record youngest 
um, player. Taken by Mason um, Bennett. Was that taken by Mason Bennett? And then there was also, I feel like his first goal as well was like a record um, mm. for for a player. Um, I, rem- I just remember him being on the bench a lot, which, mm. I mean, probably suggests like, yeah, that he, he never really took off um, yeah. at Derby. But I think he- he'd had a decent career in like League yeah. One and League Two for... You know, I think it's quite unusual to a player to come through as a youngster and then have a decent career in like relatively mm. good level. But he played for Southampton and Preston, I think, and Exeter. And but so. but I do like the um, the way the like Championship manager and football manager, obviously they're getting fed the information that like a player's a talent, and then it kind of does like use the algorithms to <laughs> of of like progression to say what players should become mm. um, big in the future. And I'd love to know like how many um, players actually made it from like the football manager stats yeah. from when they were like 15, 16. And then conversely, the players that football managers don't rate at that age who then become... Yeah, become and then become, just like, like become really world-class good. World-class players. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think what the problem they had, because I actually listened to um, a podcast with Miles Jacobson, who runs oh, yeah. the research side of things. And I mean, it is phenomenal, the research and the data analysis that goes into it. But I think Mm -hmm. basically what they used to do was they gave players they weren't sure about quite a wide range of potential. So if you manage them in a certain Uh, way, again, the the best thing about football manager was always how much of an impact the decisions you make had on what happens. That, I think, is still the reason why it's so successful. And I think that was what they did. and so maybe Lee Holmes with the right management or the right, I mean, to be honest, just luck. You know, if Derby had a left winger yeah. and got injured and he played every game and scored a couple, then he could have been, because that's often how players break through. Like the youngsters yeah. at Arsenal have basically broken through either because we had no players at the start of last season or because our team shit this year. That's why we've got yeah. young players coming through. So maybe <laughs> he, and maybe Tom Huddleston, who was the other one I'd always nicked from Derby, their careers were slightly different in trajectory and maybe it's just luck. Yeah, yeah, that's I don't very know. true. No, totally. I think looks probably yeah. a big feature. I agree. Yeah. I agree. It's a good pick, though. Good reason as well. Yeah. Enjoy yeah. it. Good chat. Trying, trying to keep the reasons different. But he's yeah. the one that I know least, as a footballer, I know least about. Like, I don't really know anything <laughs> about him as a footballer, but you know, I have someone. So you will have listened to episode five of, of uh, this podcast, right? And heard, I guess, uh, us prophesizing about Inigo Idiarquez. Um so I've just ruined that. But um, Pete, who's next? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Inigo Di. Oh, yeah, him, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have to say, actually, when I was listening to that podcast, everything you were saying was exactly what I thought about him, which was just, it was li- literally, he is the stereotype of the mid-noughties foreign player at the championship club that I hoped he would be. Yeah. And, and the reason I put him in the team is pretty much because of that, because I remember seeing his name on like the video printer at the bottom of Sky Sports News thing and just and immediately it just stuck out. Mm-hmm. And it stuck out almost more than I remember Raziak mm-hmm. about uh, around about that time as well being um, he to be fair, he could have been another shout mm-hmm. because he rocketed just he mm-hmm. really kind of mm-hmm. hit that top level and then the move to Tottenham didn't work mm-hmm. out. And looking back, I mean, they shouldn't have bought him because they had other strikers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's a sort of a bit of sense. I would imagine a sort of what might have been about him, mm-hmm. um, but Idiarkes was the one that fit even less because we had foreign players in this country from Scandinavia and Eastern Europe mm-hmm. and countries like that where we deemed them to be accept, accept, um, acceptably brutish enough that they could survive in our game. <laughs> yeah. And we basically ordained all Frenchmen that weren't Eric Cantona <laughs> and then all Spaniards and Italians that weren't Ravinelli, another person who could have been in this team. <laughs> none, of them, none of them were strong enough to kind of make it into the English game. And I think as a country, we have always had a slightly arrogant view of our game being faster and tougher mm. and all that kind of stuff. But it, it does also have obvious basis in, in fact. Mm. Um, and Idiarchus just did not fit the mould of the sort of player that... I mean, it, I, if I remember rightly, it was only really Chelsea that had Spanish players mm-hmm. back then mm-hmm. because they had a couple in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And they were the ones who fielded the first foreign eleven, I think, in the late mm-hmm. 90s as well. Wow, I didn't know that. Even though that's something that Arsenal, Arsenal obviously took that and ran with it. But, <laughs> um, but Idiarchus was this... I mean, you just saw him and just thought, that, that doesn't fit. Yeah. Something that, like Marco Reich was playing in the same team mm-hmm. and you reminded me of how how great I thought he was at that time. I remember thinking of him as, hang on, he's a bit special. There's something different about him. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but a German, you know, there was a precedent for that sort of thing. But a Spanish midfielder who would come in and just be a cut above everybody else, yeah. mm-hmm. just in terms of the simple things that he did. And I mean, I, I can't say I've watched, I watched many of his games and I know a lot about his career trajectory, but he just seemed to be the sort of player that you looked at and thought, if that goes well, that's going to go really mm. well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's exactly what happened. And he had, I mean, he played for Southampton as mm. well when they were flirting with the playoffs as well. Yep. And I mean, I, I don't think I would say that he blazed the trail for others, but I think Derby were possible. Well, I suppose Derby had foreign players like Ravinelli mm. and so on. But I think it was just yet more evidence that foreign players can thrive mm. in our game and teach a lot of our players things mm. that needed to be taught, basically. Yeah, yeah that's really um, interesting. Because I always and wouldn't... now he's now he's a coach or assistant manager yeah. at Luton. Or something, yeah, he so is. Yeah, Luton. Kind of it's a nice. Luton link there. It's yeah. a nice cycle uh, to his career. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that's really interesting because I did, I actually had no. No idea how Idiarchus would be viewed outside the club. No. But, um, I think the best thing as well that he arrived and he was like basically the end of his career. He was like 32 or something and he just turned yeah. up out of nowhere and was just like, oh yeah, I'm better than all of you lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he'd yeah. just been like... It, and, and, and was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it was beautiful. And he'd just been like so floating good. around the Spanish like second and first division just like casually yeah, like yeah. doing like his thing and then just turned up and was just like, oh, this is... What, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> like, put the ball, yeah, yeah, put the yeah. ball in the top corner. <laughs> Yeah. Dead ball, I've got it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah. no, I mean, outside of Derby, he was viewed, I guess, then in the same way mm. that, that he was viewed by mm. by Derby fans. He just, he was, he was, a, he was a class above yeah. the average level of the players he was on. Not necessarily like the other players in the Derby team were bad, mm. because I do remember Derby having a decent team around mm-hmm. that time, and they did get promoted a few years later. Mm. You can't accidentally get promoted. Yeah. But he was, yeah, mm-hmm. I think. I certainly viewed him as the sort of player that that was a really, really shrewd side. Yeah, yeah. And then your um, next pick is awesome. kind of like a, a very good player, but like kind of like the anti Adiakas <laughs> in Central. Yeah, and um, I think it was a talking. We mentioned something earlier that made me think I should have almost jumped straight to him. Um, but this was another one where I, I, I have to say his name came after I heard him being talked about on the podcast but only because I had some quite a lot of memories of what Matt Oakley was as a player around that time, but was sort of not sure if I really remembered right. Mm. And then everything you said just confirmed what I thought I knew. Because I even remember him on Football Focus or something, like <clears throat> knocking on, like going to see little kids in their houses in Derby in the same, that makes it sound really weird, but in the same way that like, there was that amazing story of Ben Foster turning up at that kid's house oh, um, the Christmas yeah, before last yeah. and surprising him. And I think the boy then became a mascot. And I think he was, um, he was, he was ill in some way. Mm. I, th- I I maybe remember yeah. that wrong, but it was just uh, like the Ben Foster one was an unbelievably like heartwarming take, especially because the kid was like my favorite keeper is Gomez. And then Foster walks in and was like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but then, so Oakley seemed like that sort of play, mm. like, He'd had a decent career because I think he'd played he played at Southampton for a few years mm-hmm. and was was perfectly fine and you know that was a good Southampton team that got to the FA Cup final mm-hmm. and so he was obviously a good player and he was one of the few players coming up with Derby that you thought he'll be able to handle mm-hmm. himself and then scored in the opening game yeah. and looked really good and then Derby just binned him yeah. and then brought in Robbie I mean Robbie Savage okay he's got a better Premier League pedigree than Matt Oakley definitely. Um, and actually, I must admit that Robbie Savage was in that Leicester team, along with Emil Heskin, one of my favourite players as a kid. But I mean, just it was obvious. Like, how did someone not just tap the manager or the recruitment guy on the shoulder in that January window and go, "Come on, mate, are you serious?" Mm. I know it was so obviously not going to work. I mean, it's easy to be wise with hindsight, but it was quite obvious mm. that Derby were were, were dead then. So yeah. why bring in these? Yeah. Like, why ship out one probably still got the legs yeah. Premier mm. League midfielder yeah. for someone that no longer. Yeah, that's quite. And, and when you said all of that, it made me realise I, I had him, I had him right, basically. Yeah, that's quite interesting because I th- as well, I think when Oakley was at Southampton, I, 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 I used to have a soft spot for Southampton because I used to like James Beattie, and so I was quite familiar with their, their team. <laughs> oh, who didn't? Yeah, and um, but Matt Oakley and Robbie Savage, like obviously Robbie Savage came with all this bluster, but I think you, when they were both in the Premiership, they they would come with like almost like similar levels of quality. You know, you, if you had similar a choice styles, between Oakley or well. Savage, you'd probably be like, yeah, they're probably similar type of midfielder. Not not similar as in play, but like you'd expect a, mm. like a certain level. Um, and I think, yeah, it was it was weird that Oakley kind of got back to that level. Clearly, he was very good at the championship level, which meant he was probably still playing at Premier League level. And then Derby, yeah, just got rid of him. Mm. Went, 
despite him being the best player probably of that team. Yeah, and I guess I, I don't even. He was, know. he was your captain as well. Yeah, wasn't he? yeah, and and that like yeah, for me, well, like we we spoke about Richard Keo like just now, and um, before Keo, like Matt Oakley was like the first captain of Derby County that I felt like I had a really strong connection with. Like I, hmm. it, he was he was my favorite player at that time, and I used to play football, and I actually like modelled my captaincy style on Matt Oakley, obviously. Assured, yeah. like level-headed, <laughs> exactly. Unassuming, yeah. yeah. Let your feet do the talking, kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of captain. Yeah, and and then <laughs> when I was looking, when I was actually looking at, at doing some research for the um the podcast a few weeks ago when we spoke about that January transfer window, I couldn't believe he'd only been at Derby for two years. Yeah. It like a year and a half. Was it a year and uh, a half? Yeah. He only played like just over forty times or something. Like I don't even think. Oh no, it was just over oh, fifty wow. times. But he has such like a strong part of my like Derby memory from growing up watching Derby. Um, yeah, that that was really surprising. But that that kind of like says something in itself that when when he did play, they were kind of like, it, I don't know, just just super solid, really good central midfielder. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Always gave everything for the team. And that anecdote about him, yeah, being a really nice man as well has has just warmed my heart. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't really. He was only there for a year, and I assumed he'd maybe been there for a while, which is why they thought about moving him on. But he'd only been there a year and a half, yeah. and his first season was the promote. Yeah, bonkers. I mean, it? it's kind of weird. well because you think about this stuff and you think, how can people that work in football not see this stuff? And clearly, they know way more about it than we do. Yeah, but sometimes this stuff is so obvious. Mm-hmm. Like Al, what you said earlier about Wayne Mooney's career being over at twenty eight, twenty nine. How did? people in football still talk about him like he was that player that he was in 2004 mm. when he just wasn't mm. like they, people just seem to have these gaps in their, mm. what they're able to see about and it's yeah, yeah. bizarre but, so another career that you could yeah. argue would end yeah. prematurely is coming up I guess yeah so who have you gone for yeah yeah so this one is is the best example of that is Giles Barnes mm-hmm. um, who just looked like he had almost the world at his feet in terms of how good he was mm-hmm. because he played in a team that got promoted in those and even though like you can't get promoted by accident and you must get you know you must be really good even to get up through the playoffs um and Derby weren't favorites for that final obviously mm-hmm. whatever but you, they, they were obviously a good side and he was a huge part of that mm. and if I'm right he was only 18 yeah. in that championship yeah. season or possibly even mm. younger he was really young and he looked like the sort of player that would do either would probably do really well in the Premier League and either make Derby competitive or remain in the Premier League when Derby went mm-hmm. down as has happened to so many other players at different times mm-hmm. and he just I think the other thing that I remember about him is that from looking at the stuff that he did, I couldn't work out whether he was a right midfielder or a central midfielder mm. because he just sort of seemed to have... Again, this is all very old memories mm. and this is probably partly informed by what people told me at the time and all mm. that, but he seemed to have a very a very central midfielder skill set in terms of control of the mm. ball and able to play passes, mm-hmm. not just not just crosses, but like, but also had the dynamism and the explosiveness that every good winger mm-hmm. sort of you would want them to have, mm-hmm. particularly if you're a smaller club in, in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, yeah, he just, I mean, he played for Fulham and West Brom afterwards, mm-hmm. I think when they were both in the Prem, mm-hmm. but never got the sense that, no. I think it was the injuries that mm-hmm. did for him, basically. Yeah. If, if, I, again, I don't actually know, but there must be something. No, I think like that's right. Yeah, I think he's exactly had a really right. good career in the MLS, as well, but yeah. more as like a target man. Style thing, and I think that's partly down to the injuries, kind of like um, mm. him suffering with injuries, which have meant that he's lost that you know pace. And yeah, stuff. and I wonder, like, when you do get like bad injuries, because he had like quite a bad injury at Derby when he was that age. Mm. Like, maybe even the younger that you get those bad injuries, mm. the the kind of yeah. like worse in terms of your development. your development. Um, yeah. But he definitely had like he was so so skillful, um, so like good to watch mm. so good on the eye like it was it was exciting every time because he was kind of like was waiting really, to come on really functional as well yeah like, yeah and he was kind of like yeah. the one um shining light i guess yeah. of of skill in in that team that that got promoted yeah. that was very functional you raised a really good point actually about his position because i i never knew what his position was and he he seemed to struggle when you put him in a defined position like if you were like you're a central midfielder to say yeah like if you're a right winger or you're a striker he would struggle but when you let him do his thing 
and you had like say you had the four four two, but you had like the, one of the strikers removed, and you just gave that to Barnes and was like, "You do what you need to do in order for this game to be won." Then that seemed to be when he was best. Yeah. Well, if you put him too far out wide, mm. he'd struggle, and if he was too deep, he'd struggle, and if he was too far up, he'd struggle. Yeah, if, if he, he was, was isolated, like... he would struggle. Which is yeah. like I was shocked when you hear when you just said that he'd been playing as a as a target man in the MLS because I yeah. couldn't imagine that um, that fitting his style when when he was at Derby I at guess all. You hit the gym. <laughs> he was very technical player. I could imagine him having good close control. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's it's interesting you say that about kind of he didn't really have a defined position because I feel like that was the era of football in which I would say having a defined position was most important mm. because mm-hmm. in like a lot of people probably think old old fashioned football would have been um highly structured and obviously it was um particularly like in the defence, obviously the, the Arsenal back four, that sort of thing. But then if you go back to 19, the 70s in particular, a lot of teams had their kind of playmaker type. Mm-hmm. So there was Stan Bowles, QPR, who was, you know, I mean, Brian Clough is alleged to have said the only team talk that Leeds needed before their game against QPR was to stop Stan Bowles and everything would be fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's probably a certain degree of artistic licence. Yeah. But Stan Bowles was obviously a kind of flighty, legendary figure, Robin mm-hmm. Friday, George Best. I mean, George Best, a level above those. Let's not, yeah. you know, I'm not going to uh, upset anyone. Make any bold claims but like so a lot of teams doing. had that sort of player. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Um, It's quite and similar so to Chris those Commons. Sort of and then... Yeah. First Chris Commons. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, one... Dude, they're pe- peas in a pod is the question <laughs> I'm looking for. But, but it seems like a lot of those players existed. And then in the sort of no- late 90s and noughties, it was quite rigid at most clubs... Apart from, I mean, it just seemed like a big deal mm. when a club had a player that didn't fit a particular. Whereas now, everyone obsesses over formations except the top managers. Mm. Like, if you ask Pep Guardiola about formations, he basically says, well, What are you talking about? Yeah. And then I read an article that somebody, I mean, it was far too technical, like unbelievable kind of level, but basically that formations are really good for viewing how a team defends but not how they attack. Mm. And it seems as though Giles Barnes was almost the wrong era for that sort of mm. thing, because back then you needed your 4-4-2, not, oh, you're really useful, but I don't know where you go on the pitch. Yeah. I mean, well, look at England in the 90s, the number of players, like Matt Letizia barely got any caps. Um, mm. I don't think Chris Waddle got that many mm. caps. Glenn Hoddle didn't get as many as he could have done because they couldn't fit them in. Mm. Whereas now, mm-hmm. fucking hell, like, imagine if we had a Glenn Hoddle to put balls off Harry... <laughs> compared to having Jesse Lingard I mean he did well but fuck uh, yeah. yeah I should stop swearing so alright we can, we can apologise is, well. is anyone under 18 listen to this podcast yeah. sorry also sorry mum Derby equalised when former Saint Matt Oakley delivered the cross for Steve Howard's perfectly placed header Every, t- every time the word football manager get mentioned, I'm sort of thinking, don't start another, st- this will go on for even longer, don't say anything, just shut up. <laughs> Although I will say, another note I made on the one you said yesterday was when Derby signed about 50 players on loan and one got injured, so they tried to send him back to get another one in. And I, want- I did just think, we have all had save games like that, where we've been like 11 loan players, get promoted and then they all leave and suddenly you've got no one. But, yeah, that was sorry. just like Derby's life for like a season. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that was real life. So, um, we got our last two players of the four four two. Yeah, the two strikers. The two strikers. Who, I'm excited. Who do, you, who do you want to bring up first? Um, I'll I'll start with the uh, I'll start with Stevie Howard, who, I mean, had to be in the team for. Funnily, I mean, his Luton links. Even though by the time I started following Luton, he'd gone. The way that he was still talked about by Luton fans, because I think he had a season in the championship with Luton because they came up in 2005. Yeah. And then I yeah. think he stayed for a season and then he was new uh, at Derby in 2006, which is when I started yeah. um, going to games. Uh, mm-hmm. there. I went to a few that season and people still talked about, especially because the strikers that tried to replace him, um, only one of them managed to do it. And he was there for three months and then got sold. So, you know, that was kind of, mm. that said it all. Um, and But he just seemed like the epitome of the successful lower league striker, who is very easy to talk down as just being a monster. Because, I mean, he was, mm. he was huge and really effective in the air and really effective as a target man, there's no doubt. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he scored 24 goals in Luton's promotion campaign, I think, in 04-05, having, I think, even spent a few months out of the team or something. 
because it was there's something but again you can't score that number of goals and be one dimensional at least mm-hmm. like obviously he wouldn't come into the Premier League and score 30 goals fine clearly not but it's not fair to just sort of say oh yeah he's just one that like he's limited mm-hmm. because I think mm-hmm. he was more than it's like you get players like, like Glenn Murray at Palace yeah he came to the Premier League and didn't score 20 goals a season but when he scored 30 a few years ago um, in spite of me saying in the first game of that season when I went with my mate saying oh, I don't see him scoring many goals this year <laughs> so maybe you should ignore my judgment completely but I see how it seemed like the sort of striker that was ideal for a club that was upwardly mobile in the championship because he could mm-hmm. come up through the divisions with a club because he had a, mm-hmm. you know he wasn't just that but that skill set was so pronounced that it kind of helped yeah. and it also is one of those sad examples of a player that probably wouldn't have I don't think he was given much of a chance in the Premiership. And it's not like Derby brought in strikers who were way better than him. But I can't sort of say, you know, like Matt Oakley should have been given more of a chance. Stevie Howard probably should have as well. But I don't know if he'd Mm. actually have, because the Premier League is, it is different. But I think um, he'd probably do well in the Premiership team where you signed Premier League strikers to play alongside him. Yeah, and Derby kind of signed similar level strikers to play alongside him, and yeah, yeah. I think I think it's natural that he'd lose his goal scoring ability as he rose, although he did very well even in the Championship with goal scoring. Mm. But like, but he might still have had a function as like a supporting striker had he had like other options around him. Yeah, I think I think like like quite a few of the players you pick, Pete. um, He was also very well liked by by Derby fans, so it's nice to hear that when he was playing for Derby, we were enjoying the watching him play for Derby. People at Luton were still were still talking about him. I guess yeah, like yeah. the way the way that he did stay with Luton as they rose through the divisions. Mm. Um, there's not really many players that do that. There's and and kind of like mm. a, are able to adapt to the differences in each league, and are also I guess able to just like keep motivating themselves to um yeah. to kind of like keep going and keep mm-hmm. going once you've like won promotion and i mean um yeah he i actually when um derby were in the premiership uh that season when um howard was was barely playing and and um we went to watch derby away at newcastle so so the the famous game where we almost beat Newcastle for the second time in that season. Yeah. Um, and we happened to stay in the same hotel that the Derby players were staying in, um, which was incredible, like a complete stroke of luck. And yeah. on the morning of the match, I remember um, like my whole family went because it was near Christmas and we were having like a, a little holiday in, in Newcastle to watch, to watch Derby for as like a Christmas treat. Um, and I remember, so how old would I have been? 15? 15 maybe at that time yeah 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 about 15 so i'm like dressed in like my derby shirt um just had breakfast just like going down the the lift in this hotel and i opened the lift doors and literally i kid you not like four or five of the derby squad were standing right in front of me and i like lost it i was just like this is the best thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life and we started to I like didn't really know what to do and I was like dad what should I do should, I, should we go and speak to them should we go and say hello should we like get some autographs and I remember um my dad and my granddad were kind of like yeah let's go and like let's get some autographs and I'm bringing this up because um Steve Howard is from Newcastle I think or yeah, no, is. Uh, is he from Newcastle yeah. so his family yeah, I think he'd in. been at Darlington before Luton I don't know yeah but I think he had and, and that's obviously oh, up, up that way Mm. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. That, that rings more of a bell. Actually, it might have been, might have been mm. Um But because yeah. he was from the area, his his family were kind of like with him, and so as we were walking around and kind of like talking to the players and, and getting signatures, I didn't want to necessarily like disturb him. He was with his young uh, young daughter at the time, and he like I I think I think I remember kind of like going to walk up to him, and I think he like must have seen me, and he like beckoned me over so I, he could like write an autograph for me, even though he was like sitting with his family. That's, that's, and, cl- that's classy, I mean, that isn't it? It is, isn't it? It's just yeah. he was just like a nice man, basically <laughs> another another nice man that just so happened to be like a really great goal scorer, and he he'll be forever remembered at Derby as, yeah. um, as scoring all those goal, all those goals in the season we got promoted. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just a it's, lovely. It's, it's a cliche that players that come through the divisions are somehow more aware of their standing or what have you. But you like mm-hmm. it is a thing I can imagine being true that someone like him who's been down the lower leagues and battled and you know, he was a he was a Just tough like humble, striker as well. So 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you watch like the way that centre backs used to be sort of 20 years ago. I mean, they just kick seven shades of shit out of people, basically. Yeah. At every yeah. opportunity. And so to come through <laughs> that in the lower leagues, yeah, it's probably quite kind of grounded and, and, and humble. Yeah, it sort yeah. of fits with, I mean, it's, it's a huge cliche as well. But yeah. yeah. No, that, what you're saying absolutely doesn't surprise me. It was, uh, yeah, nice. it was nice. So, it was very nice. Very yeah. nice. Um, okay, so la- last but not least, player number 11. Yeah, although I probably should have put him ninth, ninth in the list because that's kind of the thing <laughs> that we'll always, I'll associate him with, although I don't know if he wore that number at Derby that he did elsewhere. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's Paolo Wanchop because it sort of had to be because mm. of... I th- the reason I put him in is almost to highlight just how weirdly well people remember him as a Derby mm. player. When I don't like, I remember Ravenelli playing for Derby, and I remember that really well. But he's more, I think, associated with Middlesbrough, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or or possibly is, or at least equal, whatever. But and what one shot just was. I mean, he was from a country that I hadn't even heard of until I heard yeah. of him. I mean, yeah. I was only seven. It's not like I was 21 years old and met someone from Costa Rica. I was like, well, that's not a real country, you know. Um, but it was from a country that I didn't... And, and it sounds impossibly exotic as well. Um, yeah. But he just didn't... Again, it was the sort of foreign player coming into the league and offering something extra. Even if he didn't do things that English players couldn't do, it looked that way and it... And, and I think things like that actually matter. I mean, well, I mean, most of football actually is people's perceptions. Like, I, yeah. I hate players I've never met. It's about half the Arsenal team. I hate Graham Chaka in, in particular. Apart from the way he handled his stupid swearing at the fans quite well, the fact that he does ridiculous things on the pitch. I, I really dislike I've never met the guy. He's probably lovely. And before swearing at the Arsenal fans, he was abused quite personally. And that must be really hard for these people. Yeah. So, but you form these opinions of people that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And Paolo Wanchop is absolutely the sort of player that I've basically, after the event, constructed the idea that he was this sensational figure as soon as he arrived. I mean, his, his debut is obviously well talked about. I remember yeah. it incredibly well. That's not true. I just feel like I do because it's kind of so <laughs> ubiquitous everywhere yeah, else. Yeah. And, and loads of people talk about it as a kind of a quintessential 90s moment. And, um, you know, a game, Old Trafford, Derby coming from behind to there's certainly one three two, which suggests they mm. might have been behind at some point or whatever. And he just looked like he was a, re- a real talent. And I also remember a player who could have got into the team, Dean Sturridge, was there at the same time. And mm-hmm. he was another player that you just sort of thought they, there's something he's got a bit about. Mm-hmm. Sturridge different from from one shot, but they were players that you thought, okay, they're they're good, they're good proper Premier League strikers. And one shot's mm-hmm. sort of had an all right career because he went to play for West Ham mm-hmm. and then ended yeah. up at City and then mm-hmm. I think he was at City just I think they they then bought Anelka yeah. and, mm, and I mean yeah that's I think <laughs> can't that, really compete at that point <laughs> no it, it's yeah it's I mean they signed Anelka like yeah. Nelka <laughs> Arsenal could anyway but anyway so like so he was never never like because one shot was this exciting foreign player who was capable of things, whereas Nicholas Anelka was a consistent, brilliant striker. Okay, mm-hmm. he had his problems with people perceiving him as sulky, which is apparently not true, but anyway. But one shot just seemed mm-hmm. like the sort of player that, you know, the cliche that the team's always got a chance when they have a player like that. And I think yeah. he basically cultivated that reputation by scoring a great goal in his first game. Oh, well, yeah. to be fair, I mean, I don't think he, he failed the derby at all. I think he was a no, good no. player for derby. And he had a good goal-scoring record. Yeah. I think his goal scoring in... record was actually remarkable for that yeah. like time in Derby's history. And I think so... in the Premier League era, he's probably the best striker Derby ever had. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also when you're a team of Derby's level, you can't really expect strikers to be scoring like twenty five goals in the Premier League. So no, you have to have someone yeah. that's gonna be scoring thirteen or fourteen and yeah. I think what one of his I actually don't remember much of him playing at Derby, although my first game apparently he scored at in that game. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> but, um, which obviously says a lot about the guy as well. well it says he got at least three goals for Derby. Yeah. So my, three my, separate games. My best memory of him yeah. was in the first the first game of the 2006 World Cup where he scored twice for Costa Rica against Germany. And that kind of... God, I forgot oh, about that. Con- that kind no of confirmed to me happened. how good he was. Because you're like, this guy... Like he he's at the end of his career. By then, right? he, he was so, so old, and he was obviously way out, way 
he had left England long ago. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, even against Germany, who were the hosts, he was still turning up for Costa Rica. So amazing. Yeah. The way he's talked about by people talking about Derby, he mm-hmm. is always mentioned. And you know, whenever like if Derby are ever kind of mentioned in in a context that they wouldn't normally be, because obviously mm. Derby. As with loads of other teams, they get talked about in the context of the FA Cup and all that, whereas everything else is otherwise so Premier League centric. Mm. But he is a big part of one of the most sort of famous examples of Derby mm. doing something of note mm. in a positive sense, obviously. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. for a lot of people, Derby will be only one season in the Premiership in their entire lifetimes. And the less said about that, the better. Whereas he is from the previous era, where before things started to go wrong, he yeah. was. A player that allowed them to more than hold their own, and he and you're right. Like you rarely get strikers scoring 20, 25 goals a season. In fact, I'm sad enough to do like sporkle quizzes to name all the players that scored twenty goals in a Premier League season, and just basically keep typing in Teddy Sheringham or Andy Cole, whatever. <laughs> but players don't actually score twenty goals in a season that often. Like it's a complete myth yeah. that that's a good season for a striker. Mm. It's like Michael Owen never did it. And that's Michael mm. Owen. Like he never scored mm. twenty league goals in the season. Okay, I think at one point he got nineteen, but mm. it's only playing, like freaks, freaks like Thierry Henry doing it five seasons in a row, yeah, or Alan Shearer doing it thirty years in a row or something <laughs> made it seem more. Whereas like twelve, yeah. thirteen goals for a team that aren't even pushing into that kind of top mm. top four yeah. bracket. That's seriously good. Yeah, mm, you know? yeah. I didn't know that. I th- I just thought it was Derby. I just thought nobody ever scored twenty goals a season. Yeah, for Derby. Derby yeah. Genuinely, I thought. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's certainly true to say the list of players who scored twenty goals doesn't have many Derby players apart from the manager. But but I mean, then, then again, Wayne Rooney is another good example. He didn't do it that often. Mm. I think he did it twice. Okay, mm-hmm. he changed roles slightly, particularly when Rooney was still incredibly explosive. Ronaldo was around and took over a lot mm. of that. So there's you know fine whatever, but mm. yeah. 12-13, mm. I think, is a far better tally than... I mean, if you took credit. a team like Derby in the Premier League now and had gave them a 12-13 goal striker, yeah. I mean, Newcastle would snap it. Well, Newcastle might actually have that. In <laughs> still struggle. But, yeah. you know, there are... T- like, Fulham would kill for that. West Brom yeah, would kill for that. Yeah, that's very true. Mm. That's very you true. Mm-hmm. So, so, when we Sheffield were... United, bloody hell. Yeah, they would definitely kill for that. They'd kill their entire team for that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just one man. Ten ten centre-backs, overlapping centre-backs, underlapping, reverse inverted, false centre-backs. That's how they do it. False (laughs) centre-backs. Yeah, I don't know what that is. but (laughs) I feel like it'll be a position on Football Manager in a couple of years' time. (laughs) To be fair, I'm going to moan about Arsenal yet again. You could give that to Skodran Mustafi and he'd be able to play that wrong quite well. But anyway, I'll stop stop with the anti, with the digs. Oh, you are a bloody disgrace! Hey, bud! For missing the target from there, you want bloody shooting! So, so one thing you, you mentioned as you were talking about one chop is that he's kind of like synonymous when anyone externally mm. speaks about Derby County. And I think you said that you'd got a manager for this team yeah. who yeah, essentially yeah. epitomizes that, right? Yeah. So um, I really wanted to talk about Brian Clough because you can't not really. Um, yeah. When I first, because he was always like mentioned because also he didn't he didn't die until 2004 i think mm. yeah and that's so right. he was still um being being talked i mean he's still talked about now but he, but then he was being talked about in a different way because it was someone that they could occasionally hear from and obviously mm. nigel clough was um around that not not i mean he still is but it, he is someone who brian clough was always being talked about and then about nine years ago I um, I read The Damned United and I saw the film and it was... I mean, I know that there are elements of it that aren't necessarily quite true or what have you, but the, mm-hmm. the, the picture they paint is of a person that you want to find more find out more about. And that was the, the way that I... That's why, I mean, the book is it's incredibly interestingly written because it's the style is very weird, but... It, mm. it kind of portrays a man struggling with his demons exceptionally well in the way that it's written. And normally people like me don't get things like that from books. Like I'm not normally the kind of person that's able to pick up on things a writer's trying to do because I don't have the level of sophistication. 
I am a maths teacher, that's probably why. But that really, like, there was something edgy and something a bit difficult mm. to read about just the prose and the his imagining of what was in Brian Clough's head. And I mean, when I then basically voraciously read and watched things about him because he was such an enigmatic figure and so interesting. And um, I read a book that was written by a journalist who knew him really well. It's something like as long it's called something like as long as you don't kiss me, it's fine or something. Um, mm. And he just, I mean, he, he the thing that I also love about him is he crosses both sides of the divide between Derby and Forest, which is always interesting. Somebody who I'd be surprised if somebody turned around and said actually he's really disliked by Derby because of what he did at Forest. I would imagine that's just not the case. I mean, he no, it's not. He was. I mean, you'll you'll say this better than I will, but he was a legend at Derby. Phenomenal mm-hmm. manager. Did things with them that nobody ever thought they'd be able to do. Mm-hmm. And then went up the road to the local rivals and bettered it. By winning yeah. the Champions or the European Cup. And it's just mm-hmm. insane. And he did it basically with the biggest confidence act ever. I mean, it's not to say mm-hmm. he was like he was a, already a big fan of playing football on the deck. Um, and mm-hmm. that style of play. And he was kind of ahead of his time in that regard. But, I mean, he allegedly used to get players drunk before games to relax them. He used to really psych them up in ways that nowadays people would be very snooty and so we can't do that. Mm-hmm. When he just, through sheer force of personality, and also the thing I like about him, and the thing that I think I should say, is he's far from perfect. And there are some things that he did that are objectively awful, like the way that he treated... I think it's Justin Fashion. I can't remember which of the two fashion news it is. The way he treated him was awful, just mm. really despicable and would not play well in the current climate and quite rightly mm-hmm. so too. But um, I must admit, I nicked this from um, Daniel Story, who is the one of the main writers at Football 365. He's from Nottingham. And he mm-hmm. quite openly mm-hmm. says that Brian Clough's treatment of Justin Fashion, I think he uses the word abhorrent. And it, it really mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't diminish him as the person that mums his mum used to refer to as if you misbehave, I'll tell, I'll tell Brian Clough. And then Brian Clough, he meets him years later, Brian Clough signs something for him and writes in the book, be good to your mum. I mean, fucking hell, what a, like, what a story that would be for someone in Nottingham at that time. And he just yeah. has that hold over two, two smallish clubs that he elevated. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he is the manager at the top of the list of managers I'd love to see managing now. I mm. would be because de- everyone says he couldn't handle modern players, and maybe not. But someone like him, I think he'd have found the way if he was still young mm. and ambitious and not beaten down and struggling with, let's you know, a severe alcohol addiction. Like that's a yeah. very serious thing to have to kind of deal with. And I'd love, I'd love to see how he would. And I'm not sort of saying all oh, these these current players, they're all no. But I just, I would love to see how he would do. Yeah. And I'd love to see how he adapted and how he learned and how he would probably show so many characteristics that are second nature to managers now because that would be the received wisdom. And he seems like the sort of man that would have picked that up. And I just, mm-hmm. yeah, the more I learn about him, the more I just think. And then Michael Sheen plays him in the Damned United film. And it's really weird. And he speaks in a really strange way. And then you think, why is Michael Sheen doing that? And then you hear Brian Clough speak and you think he's got him off to a T. And he's got mm. an amazing way, just the way that he speaks and the way that he kind of mm. carries himself. I don't know. I mean, basically, he's probably more interesting than the rest of the players in the team put together <laughs> like, as, as a person. And, yeah. and the hold that he has over the two the two clubs. Yeah. yeah. I've never thought about him in that way, really. I think um, in some sense, he was doing things more like ahead of his time in the sense that he was like... a. He was really making a big deal about how players should feel before games and like mm. how they should be motivated for certain way- games in certain ways and and now I think there's obviously a lot of focus on like tactical systems but in reality what managers are doing is is putting players in the mindset that they will succeed in any given situation mm. and yeah. obviously they need the little tactical things which Brian Clough maybe wouldn't have done in like little little plays but really it's about getting the players in like a frame of mind where they're like we know what to do given any kind of circumstances Mm. I guess my mind um when you were talking through that Pete like again I I agree with with everything you were saying in terms of um the hold he has over the two Mm. clubs and the two cities even now like the I mean there's literally a road connecting the two cities that have his name on it um and it I think the way that you spoke about 
his kind of like misdemeanors and and the fact that um as like a personality he probably wasn't a very nice man to a lot of people and mm. you know like that that is in part down to down to his uh yeah issues with alcoholism but um and also like other other misdemeanors that we we may not even know about but i think you can mention that and um and kind of like acknowledge that and acknowledge that he did he did things that um yeah that weren't acceptable and also mention the fact that he yeah he like won the league with derby from absolutely nowhere went to forest won the european cup twice from absolutely nowhere um i mean you it, you just can't you can't even you can't imagine it ever happening again with two clubs of that size like yeah back-to-back <laughs> as well and like two yeah, clubs yeah. that have such a, a vicious rivalry and when you speak to um well when when i've spoken to when, when we've spoken to forest fans in the past i mean forest fans are, are very fast to tell derby fans you do realize he won the european cups with us and they're very they're very quick to get that in ahead of time but then actually speaking to forest fans about the similarities how we both like how we feel about brian clough managing our clubs um, yeah, it's it's a similar situation. Like, just took us from nowhere and mm. and achieved the greatest things that have ever happened at, mm. at both clubs. Um, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty mm. awesome, actually. It's a really awesome story. And yeah, I think the Damn United film as well. It, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it. I think that there's been a lot of criticism over mm. um, the fact that he, he apparently he never swore. Like that was one of his things. Like he didn't swear. Whereas like Michael Sheen, right. like is effing and blinding the whole time and apparently that's just not that's just not how he was yeah um i i don't know i, th- I think it might be more accurate than people make a lot of the criticism i think came from like his family that's true and i wonder that's if a true. lot of the criticism was trying to protect his image because i think at the end of mm. the f- I, I haven't watched the film for a while but i think at the end of the film they kind of touch on his problems with alcoholism and mm. i think but you um, can't you can't not really. you can't tell you can't the story of that man it. without exactly yeah you know like he, think, there's an appearance there's just sure. there's an appearance of him in 2002 on Gillette Soccer Saturday, and he looks in a really bad way. And it's only a couple mm. of years before he passed away, mm. but he still cracks a joke with Jeff Stelling. And the way that they, he talks, like, oh, is uh, Frank McClintock? Oh, is, who's he talking? No, it's um, Alan McAnally. I think. So the way he mm. talks, and there's so much warmth in his voice. And they're quite kind of jocular, blokey um, mm. pundits. But the way they defer to him and the way that they treat him is not something that many people get. The way that they sort of talk about, and they're clearly so delighted just to hear from him. And I think that's a nice mm. sort of. He's clearly not very well, and mm. yeah, and, and as as we say, there are misdemeanors as well that we shouldn't sort of say didn't happen. But he's also capable of doing amazing. He did some amazing things, and is probably still would probably still have been a cracking dinner party guest, you know, with the the stuff yeah, that he would have been yeah. able to sort of say. So. Yeah, that's a good point. I've never thought of him as a dinner party guest. I don't think we'd want to handle that. I don't think we'd want to handle that in our house. But, uh... <laughs> no, no, not in my, not in my house. No. I wonder what Nigel, um, Brian Clough would think about veganism. Yeah, probably not. Not. You probably wouldn't have a much good things to say about it. Would you? <laughs> well, well, it would. It would either be that, or we'd be an ardent vegan. I don't think there'd be much. Yeah, in the middle. yeah, yeah that's but... true. That's very true. Yeah. Brian Clough, but... the vegan years. Um... Yeah. <laughs> Al, I think you you said something interesting that I wanted to, because I think this actually links back to the very beginning about motivation, because I think we've almost got lost the fact, because when Frank Lampard's complaining, the players aren't running hard and they're not trying. Mm. There's only one person that I think is responsible for instilling that. And that's why management is so difficult, because the players say, well, when we cross the white line, we, I don't, I really don't think that's true. Like Mm -hmm. when Arsenal was struggling under Mikel Arteta, Yes, you blame some of the players, but the manager has a job to do. And if he's not doing it, then the questions have to be asked. And I actually think that's one of the main... That's why I think Harry Redknapp had a lot of success at times in his career, because he was Mm. a phenomenally good motivator. And he knew that players didn't need to be overcomplicated at the level they were playing at, but he could get extra out of them. And I think that's Mm. something that Brian Clough would have... And that's why I think Mm. he'd still be successful now. I mean, Mm. I don't know, obviously. I don't really know what I'm talking about in any of these last two hours, but I do think he would be... Uh, yeah, I think he would have adapted in a way that he'd just know what to not know what to do. Mm-hmm. But, I think yeah, somebody that like stands out to me when you talk about a real motivator is Neil Warnock mm-hmm. as well. I think yeah. like he's almost like the modern version of, of mm-hmm. that. Like he, he yeah, his yeah. footballing career, managerial career has been based purely off motivation. Like you've seen the videos of him in the dressing room. <laughs> 
at half time at when he's Sheffield United oh, manager, absolutely laying into yeah. like you're gonna need your dinner when I finish with you. Yeah, yeah, all this <laughs> just, like, just like, yeah. but I mean, it, he's a it seems unparalleled success at the second tier as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Middlesbrough drew away at Norwich today. I've seen who are top. Oh, right. And that's Neil Warnock again, just like Middlesbrough. Yeah, disaster last season, and now they're seventh yeah. or eighth. Yeah. Yeah. And, so yeah. It, it and there's some like of the dressing room footage. The dressing room <laughs> footage I love is in the changing room at half time. I think he's Huddersfield manager. And he says, We've got 2,000 fans that have come all this way getting pissed on because you can't even be. And you look at that and you just think, Hang on, he, he's got it. He gets it. Because if yeah. you start talking about the fans that have come to see the players play, you can't argue with that because, yeah, players. Yeah. Like the, f- the fans can't demand what, what they want all the time. But if 2,000 people have come and stood in the rain to watch you play, actually, you do owe them a bit. Like, come on, pull your finger out. And yeah, I think he just, yeah. I love that moment. It's the sort of where if he's your manager, you think he's got your back. And as, yeah, as in as a fan absolutely. as well. And I think, mm. yeah. But Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We better wrap it up, I guess. We should wrap it up, shouldn't <laughs> we? <laughs> You've got food delivery to deal to. We've got second half yeah. of the match to watch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, thank you. That's that's good. I did throw my phone over the other side of the room because I <laughs> didn't want to be put off by any updates. Um, no, thank thanks so much, Pete. I mean, to hear from, I, I I just think it's really interesting how Derby are perceived outside of like our own mm. our own supporters bubble, um, and also all of your like anecdotes and uh, and facts and your encyclopedic knowledge as well has just been uh, <laughs> it's been a joy to listen. Well, I, I I sort of thought it might be false memories. And I've really, I've really enjoyed like having stuff that I've thought about another club basically be confirmed. Like that's because mm. I've held on to some of this stuff for like twenty years because you know I've known about Derby for a long time. Yeah. And I've, sometimes you can have myths busted, but actually I think I might have pegged stuff broadly okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, that's definitely good to hear, but... that's good. Yeah. Okay, thank thank yeah. you to everyone for for listening. Um, the the article that Peter's written to accompany this podcast will be on our website, which is ourbaseballground.com. Um, you can find all of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, on Anchor FM, all the main, all ones. the main on podcasts, our website, on our website as well, all yeah. the main streaming sites. Let's get more people heading to that website. Okay, if we can go to the website to watch. That's the that's the only place you can listen to no, these podcasts okay, okay. <laughs> I was trying to get people to go to the website um, <laughs> you can also follow us on Twitter um, at our BBG and we are on Instagram as our baseball ground if you'd like to see any um, uh, updates as to when these episodes are going to come out and we'll be back in a, a couple of weeks mm-hmm. um, we're not quite sure yet but we'll um, we have some ideas in the works and um can't commit to anything, Pete. We can't commit to anything. <laughs> <laughs> but um, thank you again to Pete for joining yeah, us. Yeah, thank you very much. And, thought, uh, thank I'm you. Sure I really we... enjoyed that. Really enjoyed that. It was fun. <laughs>